Hello and welcome to the Church in Action program where we talk with New England leaders about the imperative to make disciples, do justice, and foster unity to share Jesus to transform New England. This week, we're continuing our conversation on politics with Reverend Dr. Ray Hammond, Senior Pastor of Bethel AME in Boston, and Pastor Enoch Liao, Pastor of Boston Chinese Evangelical Church. Today, we're continuing our discussion on approaching inflation biblically and begin talking about how Christians should approach our nation's relationship to energy. We hope you enjoy. So when we think about inflation and the effects of inflation, how should we think about it from a biblical perspective? Well, for me, as I say, with, with regard to any policy and with regard to candidates, I'm, I'm really trying to at least think about three things from, I hope, a biblical perspective and with the complete understanding that someone else also thinks from that same biblical perspective might come to a different conclusion. But I do want to know that the policy and or the candidate uh, has a track record, seems to be leaning, tending toward the issues of justice, fairness, equity. Because I think that's a biblical concern and mandate from Old to New Testament. One example, Second Samuel 23, final words of David, the God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel has said to me, one who rules over people justly, Ruling in the fear of God is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning. I also want to see that that person shows a, and that policy shows a real concern for the least advantaged, not the most. And again, I think that's deeply biblical. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial, does not take bribes, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. And he goes on to say, you shall also love the stranger because you were a stranger in Egypt. Um, and so a people who have a sense of God having lifted them out of a wretched condition should carry that same heart to a concern for others who are in wretched conditions. And then, then the last thing I would say is I'm looking for evidence of what I call appropriate humility. And I mean by that, um, the, you know, the essence we've all heard, Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's my experience in life, in the church, in politics. Arrogance, um, the, in, the unteachableness and unwillingness to listen and hear and especially listen to your opponents and respect your opponents is a recipe for disaster. So those are the things I'm, I'm looking at. In the context, for example, of inflation, I would say a, a lot goes to why we have the inflation. Um, and I'm more buying of the narrative that it's a combination of things. Yes, it's world events, spiking of oil, supply lines. I suspect it is very much related to the huge amounts of money poured into the economy during the pandemic. Um, people were very concerned about it, and rightly so. Um, well, this Milton Friedman and many other people, I think, are absolutely right. But as I'm thinking about the issue of what was appropriate for the worst pandemic in a hundred years, what was appropriate for an economy that for reasons of health and other things was shut down? Um, 
I'm at peace with the notion that we may have to pay a price that we're now trying to correct of inflation to preserve businesses with PPP payments in the billions in some cases, and individuals with unemployment and other kinds of, of, of um, payments that were made in the context of a country with an economy as big as ours. Um, so for me, the biblical principles are, were, were, were these well-managed? Were these equitably managed? Was there a concern for the people who were gonna lose their housing? Because they couldn't work, not because they didn't want to work, they couldn't work. Um, was that appropriate? And is the inflation that we're now paying the price for in that sense, which as you know, is 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 gonna have a disproportionate input on that same people, um, yeah. is that just? And I would argue, yes, could we have done it better? Possibly, I'm not a good enough economist to know, but I think under the circumstances, not not a bad choice for businesses or for people. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, so. I would say, um, Ray, and I think you're saying the same thing: is that inflationary policies are unjust. Yes, right. The, the impact of them just because it's it's going to hurt the poor more than it's going to hurt the wealthy. We're all in, but it eats away at savings, eats away at uh, your pa your paycheck, and that's that creates injustice. Um, and I, I, I certainly agree. All the money we flooded in the economy, right? And you, you quote, you mentioned Milton Friedman, right? Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, right? It's we flooded the money, the system with money, um, and there was no way you were not going to have inflation. And there were people who were saying it, both Democrats, some Democrats, yes, prime Republicans at the time, saying it. Uh, I I do hold President Biden accountable for it. Um, not because he passed all of those spending bills, although he passed the last one that I would say was not necessary and was going to was was but and only made it worse what we were going to have anyway. But he reappointed Chairman Powell to the Fed. And so the Fed was wrong every step of the way about inflation, saying we weren't going to have it. It was going to be low. It was going to be transitory. Now it's here and maybe it's stubborn. And so he reappointed Powell, who that was his job. And. So I would say President Biden owns it by reappointing Powell. Do you think I'm being unfair? Because I would say Powell should have been fired. For yeah, I, I, I would say it's unfair. Um, um, okay. it, I completely understand the, the viewpoint you're espousing here, but I would say it's unfair. Um, titrating an economy, and again, in the face of an economic shutdown that we've never dealt with before, um, is at best difficult, and you can guarantee it's going to be thankless. Because if you don't get the economy up and running, if you don't get uh, employment back up and running, you're you're you know you're you're losing. And if you do get a full economy, getting people back to work quickly, which among other things is inflationary, um, and wages have gone up. There's a whole series of things that are going on. All you're you're still going to be, you know in the doghouse so again for me and i guess for other people there would be a different yardstick um the the right moves were made with hindsight we might say this maybe should have been a little less but i think under the extraordinary circumstances that we have just come through in the last two to three years we haven't done all that badly frankly that's my assessment
Well, you, you know, I'd go back to, I was telling you the story last week about my boss that I worked for. He would said, Powell had one job, no inflation. You got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right about all that complexity. One job at the end of the day, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and in fairness, it's two jobs. So that makes it a little more complicated because it's the Fed is supposed to, to control inflation. And, and that's exactly right. right. And, and, and. Uh, go back to my second, you know, I said, no simple answers. We all, we're looking through this glass darkly. The second one, for, I take from Thomas Sowell, no perfect solutions, only trade-offs, only trade-offs, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And I, I also came across a Mencken quote I like, which is for every complex problem, there is an obvious and simple solution that is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll Enoch, sort this out for us. Uh, sort this out for us. <laughs> uh, I, I do think there's something, so let me, easier to riff off what has been said. Uh, I think when I read about emergency management people, I don't think you can win. I mean, like, because they're always going to say you should have done, it should have been better. But I think they're, well, one, I don't know if I know what it could have been worse. I, I do believe you should almost never say, well, it can't get any worse. I'm a firm believer that the answer is always, almost always, yes, it can't get worse. Uh, so, so I think that's just a really challenging, thankless position or job. As far as all the political appointees, I mean, that's within the normal realm of politics. But I do agree that in an unprecedented or historic sort of situation like this, you know, I also think you're right, Charles. If you take that job, it's a thankless job. Yeah. And if you take that job, I see this in military commands. When I read about that, I see this in, in high posts in the government. Like I hear this in CEOs. Maybe honestly, no one could have done better, but they're still going to replace you because they want it better. And, and I, I don't, a part of me is to say is most of those jobs are high profile and well-paid. So I don't feel super bad for those people. You know what I mean? Uh, they'll so, land somewhere. So I'm not trying to be, right. I'm not trying to be, yeah, they'll land somewhere. I'm not trying to be unsympathetic, but, but, but I, yeah, I think, I think you get that when you're going into that role. And by the way, there are a lot of thankless jobs that don't pay well. Um, like pastoring, right? <laughs> but you, you make a really good point, Enoch, which I think is something that's a little bit broken in our system right now is this concept of accountability. And so I don't advocate a different system for the United States, but the, in the UK system, if you screw this up, you're fired, right? The minister, that minister will resign from their post, the equivalent of a secretary, a cabinet secretary for us. They resign, even if it wasn't their fault, it happened on their watch and you're accountable. We don't seem to have that. It seems like in our system, you can get it wrong time and time again. And at worst, if you get it wrong, what we're going to do is give you more money and more responsibility. <laughs> because if you think about Sarbanes-Oxley, right, the, what the Fed got wrong there, right? It was like, okay, more power, more money. It seems like the more you screw FEMA gets the same thing. They screw up more power, more money. It seems like we have the, the reverse of it where we incentivize screwing up because you're not going to lose your job over it. Am I being unfair, guys? Well, I, I think people do, you know, they do go down in flames. They they sometimes get scapegoated, um, you know, I, I, you know, fire us. Unfair, you know, unfairly, the, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's part of the process. And and, and again, it's this is tough. I completely agree with accountability. The question is what you should be accountable for. Um, I, I think part of our problem in terms of even presidents or tre secretary um, treasury secretaries and all, being honest about the economics is that the american people want to believe the lie they want to believe that presidents control economies and they don't yeah. right uh, th that's just not 
how it operates. So part of the problem is you are handmaiden or handman to a, uh, um, a, a myth of simplicity that people want to believe that just doesn't just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Um, So again, I I agree with you. I mean, I think I I completely believe in accountability. I'm not sure that the British economy is all that much better managed. Um, I mean, looking at the land, you know what I'm saying? They are struggling, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, So or the Japanese one for that. But but in fairness, but but in fairness, somebody lost their job over. No, no, no. (laughs) I agree. And, and, uh, and, and so the, 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 the problem is, for lack of, I'm, I'm using the term theater, we, for accountability theater, right? Mm. Um, we fire somebody who may really be the best person to stay in the position and then promote somebody who's not. Um, okay. So, and as I say, not just the British, I think the Japanese are excellent examples of this. I mean, you fall on the sword in a minute. Right. Okay. That's just the way it goes down. Everybody understands that. And their economy and other things have been in the pits for a, for a couple of decades and so on. So. Okay. So, again, I, I, it, it's 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 difficult. I, I believe in accountability. I'm not sure just because it goes wrong in your watch, you should always fall on your sword. Yeah. Well, let's shift to energy. And in energy, we've got a situation where, and the Wall Street Journal just reported last week, that President Biden has approved the fewest leases for drilling on federal land since World War II. While he asks other countries with worse human rights record and worse pollution records than us to pump more oil while restricting it here and saying it needs to go away. It seems to me that we've gotten our climate energy policies all screwed up tell me what you think all right <laughs> well, no one no one's jumping in and saying no no they make perfect sense no no I, I, again i mean i i think we i i think we are in again an unprecedented situation and it would be tough if we were all on one accord and we are not. So, so we, you know, we've got several groups, people who are deeply afraid for the future, who clear, who see what we can all see, right? We, we don't agree on what the cause is, but we can all see more storms, more flooding, more, extreme kind of weather situations sort of developing. We are all more concerned and have been, I think, for several decades now around pollution and other environmental effects, whether it's rivers going up in flames or harbors that are that are undamaged and so on. So on one level, there is a general concern, though not necessarily agreement about how we got there and what should be done about it. But you've got some people who are deeply alarmed, existentially alarmed about this. Think it's an unbelievable justice issue that this generation is passing on to future generations an untenable situation. Not just poor people in other countries, their own our own children. So you've got one group that's, you know, 
really ginned up on that side. You've got other people who uh, may or may not think humans are playing a role here, um, but who would argue the most important thing is to have an economy humming and producing jobs and lifting countries out of poverty right now. Um, you know, people can have all kinds of reasons for their arguments, but the arguments per se are not bad arguments. What are the appropriate trade-offs here? The future versus the present. Um, the poor now versus potentially impoverished generations later. Um, and I, I don't know ever in human history that we've had to sit down and think literally about the future conditions of the planet, not just our country, not just even those around us, but but potentially the planet. So uh, these are are very, uh, I think, very, very hard. On the one level, you say you're right. Let, if we this could have adverse impacts on the economy, that would have an, an adverse impact on the poor, no question. On the other hand, we know for a fact that many of the environmental impacts weigh unbelievably hard on the poor, whether it's fumes and pollution, whether it's uh, toxic land or water. Um, so what, what, are the, what are the trade-offs here? And, and, and again, I probably lean toward the people who would say, look, I'm really concerned and I really do believe that this is human driven. I really do. And I would like to see us take that on. I respect deeply people who say, you know, I'm not sure about that, um, or I'm not as sure about that. Um, but again, I, you know, I, I, I think this is the kind of situation where we're going to have to keep talking with each other and figure out the trade-offs short of going to war. We actually are capable of managing the temperature of the planet. And and that if we can't predict the temperature next week, I don't know how we can do it a hundred years from now. Well, you know, I, you know, in a funny way, I I sort of think the long term trends sometimes are easier than the day to day ones, um, where where random factors are much more in play. Often, I think it's true. You you know, it's like predicting um, uh, disease outcomes. I don't I can't say for you individually because there's so much that bears on it. But I can tell you what a population of you are likely to do. How many of yeah. you will survive five years from now, right? Yeah. So I do think that the reality is often longer term, big outcomes are somewhat easier than more random and other things that are day to day. Now that said, I'm 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 cautious. I think we have to remain open. I think there are other reasons, for example, I'm a very big proponent of a green economy. I think there are a lot of reasons to, to figure out how we can move to a less fossil-driven economy. But I think we also have to be realistic about how fast that transition and change can take place. And for all the reasons that you noted, um, how, how do we, I mean, are wealthy companies willing to share as they're telling poor countries that didn't get the advantage of the last 150 years of the of the industrial revolution or 200 years you know um I, and ray i think you've hit on the biggest piece of that is, is how fast we go because if we if we can 
if, if we get to the point where green energy is as reliable and as inexpensive as oil, then we don't need to force people into it. It's going to happen naturally. It seems like what's defective, I think, in the policy today is it's more expensive and it's less reliable. Sure. And that take that does away with jobs for people at typically at the lower end of the earning scale again, uh, and, and for sure manufacturing and makes us more reliant on China, who's locked up a good chunk of the world's rare earth minerals necessary to green energy making us feel a little like Germany with fuel of saying, we're banking it all on someone who clearly is working against our interests. Let me let you jump on in there. Who's going to add a hundred and, and who's going to add a hundred coal powered plants this year. So they're moving in a completely different direction than we are. And you're right. right. And this, this, the pandemic, the supply line issues, energy, all of these are going to remake us think a whole lot of assumptions about globalization. And if, and if I can make one more, uh, throw it just to make it more complicated, what we saw in the industrial revolution is as the price of coal came down, we didn't use less coal. We found new uses for more coal. And so as we have all of these energy policies that are intended to drive down the price of oil, guess what's going to happen? We'll find more uses for oil, right? So it's, it seems that's why I look at it and go, it seems to me like we're not being thoughtful about even if we agree there's a problem and even if we agree it's man-made and even if we agree we can do something about it, it seems like we've got the policies just all messed up. And we're, and we're moving ahead like we don't care about the impact it has on people. And Enoch knows this one because I gave it to him last week, right? <laughs> the same, you know, California passes and a law saying we're not going to sell gasoline cars after 2035 and the next week they're saying don't charge your electric cars. Right. It seems like we're not even thinking about no, I, right, the implications I for everyday people. And, and as I say, trade-offs here. What, mm -hmm. um, how quickly do we move, especially the old timers like us who are not going to be around for the next wave of consequences? Right. It's it's a it's a it's a delicate balance and um, I defer. I I yield the floor to my distinguished colleague, uh, uh, Pastor Enoch Liao. Wow. <laughs> Go ahead, Enoch. What do you think? Uh, hi. So I, I thought you were talking about the specific issue that Biden and drilling. But if we're going to talk about energy policy, it, and yeah, no, put it all change, together because it's hard to separate. <laughs> I'm actually finding that the younger people get, the more they care about environment. It could be a fusion of the sinking feeling that wait, we're going to inherit this, whether it's social security or the lack thereof, or the planet. I also feel like, at least here in Massachusetts, schools and probably around the country, justice is a much more on the forefront of our education and thinking. So uh, I actually feel like it'll almost be, it's almost a moot debate hmm. because everyone, I mean, you can call it about climate change. You could call it about sexuality. The, the presumption is people in the 40s or 50s and 60s and argue all they want, but the 10s and 20 year olds, they already believe it and they're already there. So I think most of the people, um, I, I, from from a human change standpoint, all the debating here of older generations, I feel like younger generations are looking like, well, yeah, I mean, you can do what you want, but we're gonna we're gonna take better care of the planet. I think that's I don't know many people throughout our throughout our region of different backgrounds. Like we're talking wealthy suburbs, we're talking urban wealth, we're talking like you know lower income suburbs. I feel like across the board, people are kind of more aware about that. Um, so that's my general sense about climate change. We've been having several years worth of, 
we have a social responsibility emphasis every year. And there are two years about, I think there were two years about climate and environmental stewardship or loving your neighbor, loving your future neighbor um, in terms of our planet. So I, I feel like if a, if a probably conservative immigrant Chinese heritage church talks about the climate, then I feel like, you know, and we're not like on the cutting edge of that. I think, I think at least here in New England and Massachusetts in Boston, we're thinking about um, the economy. And I do think we really need, actually almost everyone I know who bought a car in the last three years was trying to buy an electric car. It's just that to your point, Charles, they're actually luxury items for the most part. Um, but again, that's how it works. You know, you have to make the infrastructure and that's what you're paying for when you bought a Tesla five years ago. You're paying, helping lay down the infrastructure or get the government to give you the money to lay down the infrastructure. So I do think that is coming along. I do think there's an equity issue of, like, like Ray said, like, the countries that are the biggest emitters, their moral argument is, well, you guys are high and mighty because mm -hmm. you can make the transition to uh, lesser fossil fossil fuel burning economies. But you just spent a couple hundred years of our planet doing that. And now we're there. We can't go ahead and just get there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if the United States says no drilling here, drill somewhere else. Actually, I think there are a lot of developing nations that would yeah, we got to drill because we got to get through that economic stage of our country's development. Not that economic evolution is linear by any means, but I mean, that's sort of the thing. Um, I guess the theory would be cheap, cheap energy. Was, yeah, cheap energy gets you out of poverty. And, it, and yeah. they would say it's unreasonable to say you got yeah, rich. Yeah. Now we can't. Right. Thanks for listening to our third episode in our political discussion series. Listen next week for more responses from Pastor Enoch and Pastor Ray on approaching energy biblically and the beginning of our conversation on student loan debt. Visit visionnewengland.org for past episodes and resources and click donate to partner with us to accelerate evangelism. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Louise Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you and thanks for listening.